With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. You want to replay the point? Okay. Mr. Vavrinka wants to replay the point. 15 on. Play the point. Today is March 15th, 2017. Pete Zebron of Tennis Acumen joined by Jared Pine of a second serve. Good evening, Jared. Good evening, Pete. Excited to be talking tennis after a great day of tennis at the Indian Wells Tennis Garden. A great way to wrap up a fun day. Uh, absolutely right. And uh, here we are, uh, smack dab in the middle of Indian Wells. Some exciting results that we're going to start the show talking about. But really, Jared, tonight's show is about your biannual article on your your site second serve about the top 20 under 20 on the atp tour and uh, i noticed uh, that uh, two exactly two years ago the number one player on that list was none other than nick Kyrgios, who just celebrated a, a monumental win over novak djokovic today at indian wells and um, first before we get into talking a little bit about that uh, if you just want to share with our listeners how you came to uh, to actually write this uh, top 20 under 20, and obviously it's gotten a lot of play and a lot of interest across the tennis world. Yeah, the first one I came out with was a little bit after Nick Kyrgios had made his run in Wimbledon, and then Alexander Zverev made his run at Hamburg, and I, I was really surprised at the time to start looking around and see there are a lot of these teenager guys having success, and I wasn't aware of who all of them were, so I wanted to start tracking it, and start looking at, okay, who are all the teenagers, and kind of put together a list of them. And then the idea came together, putting together a list of the who are the top 20 teenagers in tennis, and uh, as far as projectability, how good do I think they're going to be. And so I actually ended up starting ranking them. I'd write a paragraph or two on each player and put it up on my blog. And I did that in August of 2015. And then after um, – the Australian Open the following year, I had noticed a ton more teenagers. So I was like, okay, I need to update my list. This has changed a lot just in six months. And, and then from there, I kind of decide, okay, every six months, I'm going to update my list. So I've been doing this now. Uh, this is my sixth edition. So I've been doing this for two and a half years of tracking mm-hmm. who are the 20 best teenagers. And I mentioned on the show last week, you know, when I first did it, I was having a hard time getting up to 20. Now I'm starting mm-hmm. my list at about 50 players or more, and I start narrowing it down to get to those 20. 
No, that's that's outstanding. And you know, on on your current article, Jared, you have listed really the last uh, four four of them: uh, February 15, July 15, February 16, August of 16, and here we are in March of 17. As I mentioned uh, two years ago, exactly. Uh, born at uh, Nick Kyrgios, number one. Born at Chorich, number two. And um, let's talk about a little bit about Nick Kyrgios. Uh, he's played Novak Djokovic twice in a, a very brief period of time. He's won all four sets against Djokovic. Uh, incredible wins for Nick Kyrgios, and uh, obviously we all know what he is capable of and when he is dialed in, and he's pretty much said he's committed to uh, being a little bit more dialed in now, saying he wants to play almost every point like Nadal plays, and that would be a scary, uh, scary thought for the rest of the ATP Tour, including Novak Djokovic, who has just not been able to solve this guy. Yeah, absolutely. This has been really impressive stuff from Nick Kyrgios. It's been kind of cool to see his transition from the future of tennis to now being the guy that's taken out the number two player in the world twice in a row. Uh, these are really impressive results for Nick Kyrgios and kind of his big arrival. Big arrival. He has to do it at the slam level now. Um, I think that's the next hurdle for him to have a big win like this at a slam. Obviously, he's beaten Nadal at Wimbledon. But Nadal's been having his issues at Wimbledon over the years. Um, I think there's still that big win at a Grand Slam that he's missing. But uh, for Nick Kyrgios, he, he's arrived. This is it. This is a big deal. Agreed. First time he's played Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. He's beaten them in his first time out now, a second time against Djokovic. Flip side of that, Jared, uh, he's played 15 sets against Andy Murray. He's only won one. Uh, what what do you see in that matchup difficulty for Nick Kyrgios that uh, he doesn't seem to have against the rest of the field? Yeah, it's no secret that Nick Kyrgios admires Andy Murray a lot, and we see this with a lot of players. Nick Kyrgios is not special in this way, and that when you admire a player a lot, it becomes very hard to beat them. He doesn't have that same admiration, interestingly, for Djokovic, Nadal, and uh, Federer, so he's been able to beat those guys, hasn't beaten Andy Murray and also part of it is just a strategic, tactical difference uh, Andy Murray is great at getting first serves in play, he's a great anticipator he makes the points, put a lot of shots in play, makes it very difficult and Kyrgios is a guy who likes to end the point early, and with the way Andy Murray anticipates so well it just makes it really hard for uh, Nick Kyrgios to finish points and finish them quickly, so uh, that's been the the huge advantage that Andy Murray has had in their rivalry. Yep, and uh, big blockbuster match coming up in the next round. Nick Kyrgios is going to take on Roger Federer, Jared, who uh, now all of a sudden uh, has has Rafael Nadal's number. Dare I say he's beaten him three times in a row. Obviously, two and zero against Nadal so far this year. Nadal hasn't beaten him uh, since the Australian Open from three years ago, and. Uh, Roger Federer, I'm, I'm tongue-tied right now. Roger Federer uh, beats Rafael Nadal in 68 minutes, four out of five in break points. I mean, we have seen this be a big struggle for Roger Federer for over a decade, and now all of a sudden he's got to win in a win in a major final against Nadal as well as today here at Indian Wells. Uh, I, you know, the result may be not so much of a surprise, but the way that he manhandled Nadal, uh, flattening everything out, the backhand looked spectacular. Your thoughts on Federer taking out Nadal in 68 minutes? Yeah, absolutely. It is really interesting how they just went from playing uh, their first major final of the two and played against each other in a while. I believe the the one before that was the 2011 Roland Garros. Um, so it's been a while since they had played each other in a slam final. 
Then they go from playing each other in a slam final to an early meeting at Indian Wells, their earliest meeting since the first time they met in their careers. So uh, a big change there in terms of stage. Obviously, Indian Wells does have a big stadium, a huge crowd there in attendance. And so it, it did feel like a much bigger match than an early round meeting out of 1,000. Um, but you've had such an interesting take on, on this rivalry and the impact that Yvonne Lendl has had. And, um, yeah, if you could talk a little bit more about that, because I think that's a really interesting way to look at it that a lot of fans would find interesting. Well, actually, Lubacic for uh, for Federer here. Yeah, not Lendl. Yeah, uh, Lendl and, and, yeah. Yep, Yvonne Lubacic, right. I mean, I, I really think the fact that Federer brought Lubacic in has everything to do with his success against Nadal. You, you look at some of the other players, uh, coaches, if you will, that Federer had in his camp. Stefan Edberg, great career. He never played Rafael Nadal. Paul Anacone, obviously a lot of success with Sampras. He never played Nadal, and obviously Tony Roach had no opportunity to play Rafael Nadal. But Ivan Lubacic did, and he beat him a couple of times. And the fact that Lubacic is very familiar with Nadal's game, a different voice in his head now, and again, the fact that he was able to turn the tables on Nadal in the fifth set of the Australian Open final, uh, come back from a breakdown in that fifth set, win the title, uh, now again, 68 minutes taking out Nadal. I, I really think... People are making a, a deal out of the racket aspect of uh, Federer switching rackets. Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe some more confidence. Again, the parallel there with Pete Sampras making that change late in his career, saying he regretted not doing that sooner. That plays into it a little bit. I don't think nearly as much as people are carrying on. I really do think it's the voice of Lubacic. I, I look back and, and look at the foundation that he's built for Milos Raonic, who obviously was in a Wimbledon final this last year. Lubacic did all the hard work with Raonic, getting him to the point where he is. And I, I think Ivan Lubacic grew as a coach in working with Milos Raonic. Now he's got the ultimate pro and Federer to be able to to really do what he wants, and again, the fact that he is familiar with Nadal's game and and a lot of the current players at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, do we want to get into the young guns now? We do, Jared, and uh, we've got a, a special guest. I'm going to bring on the line who is very familiar with uh, one of the players who is on your young guns list, uh, Norwegian Casper Ruud who uh, had a very nice run at a ATP 500, reaching the semifinal. He's ranked number five in your 20 under 20, and uh, right now, bear with me, I'm going to welcome to the line and replay the point show, Justin Fitzpatrick, and Justin is someone that I've known for a number of years. He spent several years in the country of Norway and has been working with a lot of Norwegian youngsters, and Justin, you and I had a conversation earlier in the year, even before Rude was able to uh, to reach a semifinal of a 500 a about your thoughts on Casper Rude, you know his father, and I'd like to welcome to the show right now Justin Fitzpatrick. Good evening, Justin. Good evening, Pete. Good evening, Jared. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. Doing well. Yeah, yeah. so Pete, as you know, um, I had coached a, a really great young player uh, by the name of Oystein Styro Jr. from probably about age 14 until he was about uh, age 18, almost 19. And then we just kind of ran out of resources on the, the futures and challengers circuit. And he wound up playing college tennis for university of North Carolina and Chapel Hill and had a, a really good successful career there for four years. But in spending so much time with him, we, we were based out of Norway and it was very interesting time in Norwegian tennis because 
you know, being a neighbor to Sweden, which has a pretty illustrious tennis history, as we're all familiar with, Norway was just uh, kind of the doldrums, and for really no good reason, because you have a, a very, very uh, dominantly athletic culture in winter sports and Nordic sports, um, but not so much in tennis. And when I began working with Oystein, um, the Norwegian Federation was really kind of just getting a foundation built for the future for the next 10 or 15 years. And so it was a bit of a banana republic in terms of tennis. But what's interesting about Casper Rude is, you know, he has the pedigree coming from his father, Christian, who was, you know, I think ATP 39, you know, probably had over, I think he had about 115 uh, tour match wins. Um, Pretty successful for a guy coming from a country like that without a lot of support. So um, what I can tell you about Casper is when he was uh, a junior, he's uh, he's probably, he's got to be about four or five years younger than than my player, Oystein, that I coached. Um, it was a huge value to have uh, Christian, uh, you know, guide him because uh, a little bit about his father will we'll tell a little, give a little bit more insight on Casper's game today. You know, a very stoic guy, very calm on the court, total gentleman, but a hard worker and really, really, I think, pretty good at developing other players because the the small club uh, in Oslo in the little region called Snoroya, their club, uh, my player, Oystein, and Casper's father, Christian, would play together in their club matches. And, you know, we would see Casper playing the junior tournaments, trying to play ITFs and growing and growing, and he's a lot like his father, in my opinion. Very, very stoic guy, very hard worker, um, and just trying to see, you know, how much he can develop. And I've been very pleased to see that he's climbing the ranks, and I think Jared is dead on to have him uh, ranked in his 20 under 20. It would be really exciting to see uh, to see him climb a little higher because in the bigger picture of developing a player, it's incredibly difficult to do it from, from any age unless you have a lot of support and a lot of resources in the terms of money, and, um, you know, federation support. And so he's had that, and the federation's been able to put a lot behind him, which is great because, as we know, in, in smaller countries, if you have, you know, one player that's doing pretty well, the whole country gets behind you. And that, that does a lot for your belief, and it, and it does a lot for your resources as well in terms of sponsorships. But, you know, Casper is uh, doing some pretty impressive things, I think we all agree. And, um, as a junior, he's just kept grinding and grinding. But technically, he has a really solid foundation that his father built. And although he's not coached by his father, uh, you know, Christian still plays a little bit in the club stuff. Um, I believe he's still coached by Pedro Rico, and he spends quite a bit of time in Spain, which is pretty smart. Most most players in Europe, if they really want to develop, you, you see them wind up someplace in Spain. So that's no surprise. But uh, I have a lot of faith that he could – um, if he gets in on the tour with, with enough of those young guys, you know, and can kind of ingratiate himself with, uh, with the guys like uh, a Taylor Fritz or a Zvera or any of those guys that are coming up and just become part of that pile where a rising tide raises all ships, I think we're going to see pretty good things about him. But he's just an exceptional young man in terms of his personality and on court. He's just a grinder. He'll work all day long and he's open to further development. And that goes back to our match tonight with Nadal and Federer. Talk about uh, never ending development. Roger's age 35 and he's hitting his backhand better than he's ever hit it in his entire life, you know, which is just sensational. It's that, it's that open attitude of I can always improve. Casper really personifies that. 
Nice. Yeah, a lot of interesting things there, Justin. Thanks for all that. And, uh, yeah, I got a few questions for you because um, the, the first time I noticed Katsuroot, obviously I saw some of his results during juniors. He caught my attention because he's having good results, but never really watched him very closely. But I was aware of him. And then I think last year he won Sevilla. I've called him since then the king of yellow clay, uh, the one yellow clay event that there is on the Challenger Tour, and he won it. Uh, you, you mentioned the strong technique that he had learned from his father um, that is so solid, but what is it specifically that makes him successful on the clay? Um, interestingly enough, coming from a country that spends uh, as much time frozen uh, and very little time warm, in, uh, in the Oslo area, the club that Casper grew up in in Snarroya, they have about five red clay courts, and they're actually in beautiful condition. I, I was always amazed um, in the spring and summers there when we'd spend a few weeks training before traveling to events around Europe and Eastern Europe, these courts were in really great shape. And this goes back to something that I think is unique to Europe um, versus the United States or South America or Australia. Australia is pretty close. But what was really cool, Jared, is as the kids grow up in the club, it's a very family-oriented atmosphere. And it's the way tennis clubs used to be in the 70s and 80s in the United States where it was – you know, after school, the kids just go to the club. They hang out. Whether there's actual programming or a lesson or whatever, it's a gathering place. So it's a big part of the social fabric for the families. And what happens is within the club, when they would have club matches, the younger kids would have to do the lines. Uh, the, if you were, I think, if you were age 13 or 14, you had to be a chair umpire for the matches for the older players, you know, in the club. And they, we're talking guys that, were, you know, had ATP rankings, um, you know, maybe, you know, anywhere from uh, 400 to 200 in the world. So, I mean, these are pretty legitimate matches at these little tiny clubs. And the kids are on this ladder of progression, and they're always on clay. Almost all of the clubs throughout Oslo that they would play against, like Nordstrand and a few others, they're all on clay. So I think that was pretty key for his development. And when I think of, if I had to pick on one specific thing, like Christian's, his father's forehand is just, it's, it's very traditional in terms of technique. It's absolutely smooth, and his body's really stable. He's always got a really good connection to the ground, and he just thumps a really, really heavy ball. And Casper was one of the few kids in the club that I saw in the time that I was there that actually kind of picked up on how to do that way before anybody else. And so I think that's one key to, to his success technically was growing up on clay, oddly enough, in a, in a Nordic country, you know, high in the latitudes like Norway doesn't, you know, it's not Spain, it's not the tropics, so it's not Florida. But he's very, very comfortable at constructing points. And so I think the clay gave him that great foundation. Yeah, no, very interesting insight. And when you look at some of these players that have come up um, over the years, I think of Orlando Luce, um, Christian Guerin, Nicholas Jerry, guys that have very good at games on clay, had successful junior careers, but they've struggled to make it on the professional level so far. Um, you could add a, on like a Nikola Milojevic to that group as well from Serbia. Um, does Casper have the game on a hard court to, to make it in the pros? Because when you look at the guys in the top 100 right now, not a lot of clay specialists. I think kind of Pablo Cuevas is probably the, the peak that you can kind of get if all you know how to do is play on clay. Um, does Casper have that, that ability to get good results on hard courts to build his ranking as well? 
I think so because he knows how to adapt pretty quickly. And you raise a really uh, pretty critically fundamental point about men, the men's professional game right now in that you see a lot of Europeans, you see a lot of South Americans, you know, Australians, they're growing up on clay. So they're learning better fundamentals. And in, in my humble opinion, as a coach, um, they're learning better point construction, but it does. You're absolutely right. The clay court specialists, it doesn't translate well because we've got to remember the clay court season is really only three months. So then you're on grass, then you're on hard court, you're indoors. I mean, most of the tour you're playing on a surface much faster than clay. And when I did some work with players in, uh, in Valencia, Spain, where Paul Dorachenko, who used to coach Federer early in the early days and had a big impact on his development, Paul had said, hey, you know, could we do, uh, you know, could I send some of my ATP guys to, to the U.S., to Arizona maybe, and, and work for a month or two on hard courts? He said, because they're just getting killed because all they do is train on clay. So back to your question. I, agree. I would, if I had to venture a guess, uh, I could be wrong. I really think that Casper has the ability to adapt because, again, his father, Christian, really knows how to hit through the court, and that translates well on any surface. If you're playing somebody on clay that's a specialist, you can start rushing them. You can start, you know, causing them to make errors they're not used to, to seeing on a big, heavy, flat ball, and he certainly knows how to hit that ball. So I say, it's, I say he's got a promising chance at adapting uh, and spending more time on hard court. Now you mentioned one other thing that that I thought was interesting in your in your first comment, which was that he went to Spain to go train because that's where the best tennis players go, and that, and that's been true for a long time. And when you look at men's tennis right now, Spain is dominating a lot of ways. Not just Rafael Nadal, not just David Ferrer. I mean, you have Verdasco, Carreño Busta, Feliciano Lopez. I mean, I, there's a lot of these guys, Spaniards that are in the top 100, have been there for a long time. But we don't see a lot of young guys coming up. Um, Nicola Kuhn was 20th on my list. That's the first time I've put a Spaniard on my list. I've toyed with the idea of putting Jaume Munyar on the list, um, but he's pretty far down there. His results just haven't been as strong. Spanish tennis right now, if you look at the young guys, they're kind of struggling, but Spain is still the place to go to train. Um, to me, that doesn't make sense. Do you have any idea as to why that might be the case? That's a great question, and I would say this. I have a very, very confident answer in this, and that is that's because that's just where the biggest pool of talent is, you know, from Western Europe and Scandinavia and Eastern Europe. People will go – it's not so much that Spain – you know, Spain's beautiful. They have great weather. There's a lot of the talented academies and good coaching there, but that's where the big pool of talent is. So it's, it's much like, uh, you know, Florida is the Spain of the United States. You know, if you're a good junior in the United States and you want to get good, you need competition. Um, it just happens to be Florida is where most of that competition is. And then I would say, you know, Texas and California are right behind it. But everybody in this country knows, well, if you're really going to get good, you need to go spend time in Florida. It's not so much that it's clay in Spain. It's not so much that it's the, the very, very, you know, uh, storied and valuable coaching you find in Spain in every corner of the country, you find amazing coaches. It's just, that's where the competition is. Um, when I was in Valencia, when I mentioned doing some work with Paul Dorachenko, he was at the academy that uh, Marat Safin put a bunch of money into. And so there was a pretty big contingent of Russian players there. And again, you know, if you're coming from, you know, a cold climate like Russia or Eastern Europe, you know, who, who doesn't want to go down to a, a beautiful place like Spain and train? So the weather is key too. 
But, uh, but ultimately, I think the players go where the biggest, you know, pool of sharks is in the deepest water. That's how they're going to get better. And that's why I think Spain is still the place in terms of Europe. Um, that could change. Yeah, no, very interesting insight on that. And, um, yeah, any other thoughts on Casper on Ruud? Um, I, don't, I don't have any questions left. I don't know if Pete does, but um, very interesting to hear your insight and if maybe you have something, anything else to add. You know, lastly, I'll just to go back to my comment about how the kids at, at the clubs, not just the club Casper grew up in in Sonoroya, but around Oslo, I, it was really admirable because they kept it simple and it was very old school. Every, every club had a big visible challenge ladder with everybody's pictures and, you know, contact information, you know, things we don't see in the United States anymore. That's how I grew up playing as a junior. It was like every single week, if you weren't playing, you know, 18 to 20 sets, then, you know, you were just doing it for fun. And so you always had to have challenge matches, but the kids, you know, from age five, their development's pretty solid. Technically they have fun with it. They grow into the game but then they're always around the older kids. And when I mentioned, you know, they get to, you know, sweep the court or do the lines or be the line judges, um, you know, or eventually become a chair umpire, they start to take it really seriously. It makes them feel important, I think, at an early age. And it forces them to watch older, more experienced players in their clubs if they're being chair umpire. They start to learn more about – I think they have a higher tennis IQ. And so that's the final thing I would comment on about Casper is – I think one of his strengths is he's probably got a higher tennis IQ right now than most kids his age from his background. And I think, you know, it takes years and years. It takes a lifetime to develop certain technical aspects of the game or certain shot selection. Um, But you can overnight really, really improve your position in the rankings, whether you're a junior or college player or a touring professional, you can overnight really improve your ranking just by increasing your tennis IQ and having a better understanding of your own strengths and weaknesses, your opponent's strengths and weaknesses. And I think obviously going back to the uh, Federer and Nadal match tonight, the plan that, that Roger and Lubacic worked up was brilliant by itself. Play the points short. He, he, I don't think Nadal, Nadal played poorly, not because I don't think he had a, I don't think he had a bad night. I think Federer's plan made him play poorly and that's just as valuable. So if you can force your opponent to play poorly and you play brilliantly, you, you could be unstoppable. You know, that just does a lot. And I think Casper's got a good tennis IQ, so I'm really excited to see because if, you know, with the success he can have, if you're coming from a country of 4 million people, I mean, Phoenix has more people than that. That's where I live. Um, if your entire country gets behind you, then it is a boon to the sport. Everyone everywhere will start playing tennis because they say, if, if he can do it, I can do it. You look back in, into German tennis, you know, when, when Boris Becker and Steffi Graf retired, tennis kind of died. There were really no good Germans. Then Annalena Gronfeld came out of nowhere. She went from like 515 in the world to number nine in a, the space of two and a half years. And I did a little bit of work with her in Scottsdale. And through her rise, I mean, she became the darling of the country every little town and village throughout Germany started playing tennis again. So I think the exciting thing is, is he's a heck of a nice kid from a great family. His dad was a great professional. Um, and his success will translate into more Norwegian tennis players because as Pete understands in conversations he and I have had in the past, that country has unbelievable athleticism, you know, just huge, tall people, very athletic, into the outdoor sports, always into the winter sports. I mean, very capable, very nice people. It's a, it's a neat culture in my opinion. 
and it would be great to see them do better. And, and lastly, too, I thought it was pretty cool when, when Casper started playing Davis Cup, um, it got them from, I believe, group three zone to group two zone, which was a big boost. So the more he does, uh, the more support he's going to get. I think it's a perfect storm to see him do really well. All right. Well, that's Justin Fitzpatrick. Justin, thanks so much for your commentary. Uh, really valuable stuff. Great insight. And, uh, yeah, thanks for giving us some time on, on your Wednesday night. Absolutely, guys. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Justin. We'll All have right. you on a future show, uh, obviously, to talk a lot more. But uh, we appreciate it. Thanks so much, Justin. Take care. And, Jared, uh, very, very interesting overview uh, from Justin Fitzpatrick, who spent a lot of time not only in Norway but in Spain but also at Voluntary Academy. And, wow, you know, you look at your top 20 under 20 over the years, and it's just loaded with European players. And I think we got a great insight from Justin Fitzpatrick about why that is the case, at least what happens in Norway and how it translates to Spain. Your thoughts on on some of the things Justin had to share before we uh, dive deeper into your top 20 under 20. Yeah, it's just such a unique perspective to hear the way he talks about getting a whole country behind a player. And, and you see this right now in Serbia, especially, um, where tennis is growing rapidly uh, because of the success of Ani Ivanovic, Jelani Jankovic, and Novak Djokovic. Uh, everyone in Serbia knows who those three tennis players are, and people want to grow up and be like those three. And, and we've seen a huge group of Serbians coming up lately, Laszlo Jiri, Nikola Milojevic, Miki Jankovic. Um, there's a lot of these. And even on my list right now, Miramir Kecmanovic, very solid player who, who could be in the top 100 very soon. Um, so, yeah, this does make a huge difference. When you have one successful player from a country, the whole sport grows. And, and I'm excited to hopefully see that in the United States in years to come. Um, just one other thing to add on to that. I, I had a friend in college who was from Japan, didn't know a thing about tennis, uh, really knew nothing, didn't know who Roger Federer was, but he knew who Kane Ishikori was. Kane Ishikori was an absolute hero to him. Even though he knew nothing about tennis, everyone in Japan knows who Kane Ishikori is. And uh, there's a lot of kids right now that want to grow up and be like Kane Ishikori. So, you know, it might take 10 years or so for these kids to grow up and start playing professional events, but I would not be surprised at all to see a huge groundswell of successful uh, Japanese tennis players pretty soon. Oh, great call. I, I like that a lot. And um, let's start off, Jared, uh, someone who's been on number one in your list the last couple of years, actually the last couple of rankings, uh, starting last year, February 16th, August 16th, and there he is again at the very top. Alexander Zverev uh, feels like he's been around for quite a while. I had uh, had the pleasure of watching him play. He came through qualifying, uh, played Borna Chorich in Cincinnati in round one and really had that match a couple years ago. And I mentioned this a couple times on the show. Uh, I asked Rob Koenig after that match. I said, okay, here's two pretty comparable players. Who has the better career uh, when it's all said and done? And without hesitation, Rob Koenig said Alexander Zverev, and uh, I was right there 50-50, but he said that pretty demonstratively. And we've seen the separation, obviously, Zverev having, uh, is on everybody's radar at this point in time, and he still is under 20, and he is number one on your list. Uh, would you like to elaborate on how and why he's able to maintain the pole position, Jared? Yeah, right now, Alexander Zverev's um, the best teenager, I think, without doubt. But not only that, he's one of the best teenagers uh, that tennis has seen in a long time. Uh, this is really impressive stuff that he's doing. Um, probably the best teenager 
since before him was when Andy Murray and Novak Djokovic were teenagers. They're right around the same age, a week apart. Uh, since then, we haven't seen a teenager do what he's doing. He's in the top 20 right now. Um, he's going into tournaments as a threat to win them. Obviously, he bowed out a little bit early, uh, ending Wells' loss to Nick Kyrgios. He, he had a tough draw uh, in that event, but week in and week out, he's having success. Um, a very talented player. And, and I remember a couple years ago picking Chorich over Zverev, and I was going back and forth in my mind, who's going to be number one, Chorich or Zverev? I ended up going with Chorich. And it was just a few weeks later that I regretted it, like I'd made the worst decision ever. Um, and I've, I've gone with Zverev ever since. He's he's clearly separated himself from the pack in that regard. Good call. And uh, we're going to go in order a little bit here um, right now, Jared, uh, with respect to your current list. And uh, right now, obviously, after Alexander Zverev, we have an American. Uh, nice to see Taylor Fritz up there, uh, age 19, and he is a dad at age 19. Um, some people might think that might throw a little bit of a wrench into his game with his responsibilities, but, wow, does he have a very nice game. I, I have to admit, I've only seen snippets of Taylor Fritz compared to some other guys in the 20 under 20, but what jumps out to you the most about Taylor Fritz, the young 19-year-old American currently and uh, really knocking on the door of the top 100? Yeah, his, his ability that to take second serves early is what's so impressive to me. The, the kick serve to his backhand, he'll take about a step inside the baseline and hit it for winners regularly. Um, it's kind of like a Santiago Geraldo, but it, it, he does it with so much more regularity as it was so much more margin. It's such a safe tactic for him. It's something that very few tennis players can do. And uh, it's such a great thing to see. You know, he, I, I had first heard of him when he reached the junior uh, Wimbledon semifinals. It was a nice run for him. And then I saw uh, one day he was playing in a futures event against Stefan Kosloff. And I knew who Kosloff was, and I wanted to go out and see Kosloff. Uh, so I had made kind of his spontaneous decision I was going to go see Kostov play and he happened to be playing against Taylor Fritz and then Taylor Fritz won the match and I, I was very surprised by that and Twitter was kind of a buzz about a futures match I couldn't believe that either um, and people kind of saying hey this Fritz guy might actually be better than Kostov um, you know he, he has a big frame a very athletic body and hits the ball hard um, they were saying lots of good things about him and I could see it from the match that I watched of those two playing and merely a year later, he goes from being an underdog in a Futures event to then playing against Kei Nishikori in the championship of Memphis. And uh, obviously the perception of him has changed drastically just in the last couple of years uh, to where now he's, you know, the, he's carrying the mantle for American tennis right now, him and Francis Tiafo primarily. Uh, those two guys are, are very dominant. But uh, Taylor Fritz, for me, he's the number one American out of these teenagers he's going to have the most promising career uh you mentioned the aspect of him being a father it's going to be fun to see how he adjusts to that how he adjusts to life on tour being a, a husband and a father that'll be an interesting thing for him as a teenager uh so yeah i'm really interested to see what the development of taylor fritz will be in the next couple of years yep and i'm glad you mentioned santiago geraldo because uh jared uh uh, for a lot of these players, some of which I've not seen, I will ask you uh, for a comparison, if, if there is one, about uh, an ATP player so uh, so our listeners have an idea of of a side-by-side -side comparison, if you will. And uh, number three is someone that I have seen as well, Francis Tiafo. Uh, I've seen him in Cincinnati, and 
this is someone, Jared, that I, I remember. He's from Washington, D.C. He did uh, get a wild card into that tournament. I believe Donskoy beat him uh, in his debut on the ATP Tour. But yep. um, I, I have uh, seen a few things that I like about Tiafo, but other things, uh, in, in my opinion, uh, the, the body language. He can win two or three consecutive points, and he'll start strutting around a little bit, and then he'll lose two or three consecutive points. He gets a little mopey, and um, not good habits per se. Obviously, has a very nice game, upward trajectory. He's going to continue to climb, but uh, obviously at age 19, there's plenty of room to uh, to outgrow some of maybe what uh, I, I'm, I'm noticing really wouldn't translate well on the tennis court if you're trying to win matches. Yeah, he's one of only two teenagers right now in the top 100, uh, so you can't ignore him. So I actually spent most of my description of him criticizing him because I felt like I had to justify putting him as low as number three. Uh, Obviously, he's very talented. There's tons of hype surrounding him. He's been signed by Jay-Z. A lot of things going in his favor. So to put someone like that down at number three, uh, you have to justify it. Um, So I I was pretty critical of him, critical of that he has a big hitch in his serve. Uh, the forehand has some cool issues, uh, but he makes up for a lot of it with athleticism. And so that's why people are so excited. He's he's one of the most athletic players in tennis, right up there with Gael Monfils. Um, and that's what he's known for, and that's what's going to make him good. He has some technical issues, uh, but he, he reads the ball off his opponent's racket really well. And, uh, you know, he's just been around the sport for a long, long time. He looks very comfortable with the racket in his hand. And, uh, yeah, it's a little bit awkward, some of his stroke production, um, but that's not going to hold him back too much in the long run. Yep, and um, the f- number four, I, I, actually, I, if you can give a comparison, uh, wh- whom does he remind you of most, uh, if anyone on tour? Uh, I was actually going to ask you, because you, you've seen him play, <laughs> obviously, as well. I, I got nothing. I have no one to compare. I mean, if you want to compare, like, the wackiness of his forehand, he's – uh, just as wacky as uh, Benoit Pair or uh, mm. Ernest Golbis. Um, okay, maybe not as much as a Golbis, but it's <laughs> it's just unlike any player. His stroke production, um, at, at, in terms of athleticism, you got to compare him to Gael Monfils. Uh, movement right up there with Djokovic. Uh, you know, he he has the physical tools. He just lacks some of the technique. I, I, I like that. Uh, I, I agree also with the hitch in his uh, in his swing as well, uh, service motion as well. That plenty of time for that to be cleaned up. Uh, just hope he doesn't depend on that uh, herky-jerky service motion, if you will. So uh, very good description, a combination of about four or five guys there. Uh, this is interesting, Jared. Again, uh, so far the top three, Zverev currently ranked 20, Fritz 136, Tiafo number three at 86, and then I, I, uh, we talked about Casper Ruud quite a bit. He's number five at 128, but Jared, number four, the young Canadian, Felix Auger Asalami, the 16-year-old, 5'11 in the world, and yet you have him number four on your 20 under 20. That is uh, remarkable, and i uh, like to ask you to justify that one. Yeah, so take uh, – take, um... Francis Tiafo, get rid of the technical issues and make him three years younger, and you have uh, Felix. <laughs> Felix has it all. I mean, this guy's got a big frame. Uh, I think he's about six one already, probably still growing uh, at his age. So, you know, he's, he's going to have to make some adjustments still because as you get taller, your game plan is going to change. The style of player you are is going to change. Uh, but he's very quick. 
He's so consistent. He has great stamina. Uh, this guy's really got it all. And you watch his game. His technique is so clean. He has very natural power. He doesn't look like he's trying very hard, but he can just whack the ball. Um, he can play with great variety in terms of spins. Uh, he's really just has such a complete game and add on to that a great amount of athleticism. He's only 16 right now, as you mentioned, uh, so he's a little bit untested. It's not going to be long before he's probably number one on the list, but I'm holding off on that because he is only 16, uh, and there there are still some unknowns how he's going to handle pressure and these kinds of things. At this point in his career, every win is is uh, just the extra icing on the cake. So he, he hasn't faced real pressure yet. We'll see how he handles that, although I will say he lost uh, – uh, a junior Grand Slam final after having match points, very tough for him to take, went on to the next junior Grand Slam and won it. Uh, so that, that already says a lot about his mental toughness, his mental strength, uh, what kind of an athlete he is deep down under. Um, so, you know, he's got the tangibles, he's got the intangibles, he has great technique. Uh, he's really got the complete picture. If he stays healthy, watch out. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give you a shout-out here, Jared, because 20 months ago in July of 15, I'm looking at your previous list, you had him at number 20. So uh, you obviously were very well aware of who he was. As a 14-year-old, you had him in the 20 under 20. Uh, remarkable. And, again, uh, I like your justification of where he is on the list. And if you can describe uh, or give a comparison to someone else on tour about Felix, is, it, does, is that one person or is that a combination of people as well? Yeah, this one's going to have to be a combination of people just because he brings in so many different uh, aspects to his game. He he has the natural power of Thomas Burditch. Um, I think I'd compare him to Burditch in that way in terms of the natural power that he has. Uh, in terms of variety, um, you're looking at kind of like a Tommy Haas. You know, maybe obviously doesn't have the one-handed backhand, uh, but Haas has tons of variety. He's pretty similar in that sense. And uh, yeah, the the athleticism. A guy almost might be pushing in terms of athleticism. He's only 16. So we'll see how he continues to develop physically. Um, but, yeah, he's very athletic, uh, strong guy. And, and as I said, he's still growing and maturing physically. So it can only get better from here. Good. Nice. Very well done. And uh, number five is Casper Rude. We had Justin Fitzpatrick on talking with us quite a bit about Casper Rude and Norwegian tennis and how he came to be so such a good player on clay and talking about Casper's father as well, who I think Justin said was number 39 in the world. So uh, nice elaboration we had earlier about number five, Casper Rude and Jared. Number six, we're staying in North America. Denis Shapovalov, 17-year-old, maybe uh, some people in the sports world are a little bit more familiar with this name uh, for compared to any other 17-year-old tennis player. And obviously, this is because of the live fifth rubber in Davis Cup in Canada, I believe in Ottawa. The Canadians, two all with Great Britain and Shepovalov, DQ'd in the fifth set. Uh, actually, the fifth rubber uh, down two sets and a break in the third set when he struck the ball, ricocheted off of the chair umpire's microphone, and gave that gentleman an uppercut, and he had to have surgery. So. That made all the highlights, uh, as most tennis smashing racket episodes do. Um, but uh, unfortunate scenario for Shapovalov, uh, really apologetic, 
sort of, in my opinion, a light uh, a light penalty. Uh, ho- let's hope he's learned from this. But let's talk more about his tennis here. And uh, I have seen him play a little bit. I uh, like what I see, and I want to get your thoughts. Yeah, a left-handed player that's very talented. You mentioned a lot of people did get their introduction to him with his mishap at uh, Davis Cup. I Actually, I remember seeing even before that incident, he was in some commercials in Canada uh, so he's already in commercials, obviously. So his people are aware of who he is, at least in Canada. Um, his star is rising pretty quick just because of how talented he is. He's he's a left-handed player with good power, not afraid to come into the net, and uses his left-handedness well. Uh, just being a left left-handed tennis player is already an advantage, but you have to you have to use that advantage, and he does a great job of that already in his career. Um, very solid off the forehand and then has a a one-handed backhand that is very good. You don't see that a lot among the junior tennis players. Um, You might even say he's stronger off the backhand than the the forehand. He can do a lot of damage with that one-handed backhand, the way he kind of whips it. Um, I think it's a little bit freeing for him to not have the top hand. Um, A lot of times players use that top hand for extra power on the the two-handed backhand, Uh, but he uses the one hand, and it frees up his arm uh, to do a lot of damage with that shot. It's very effective. It's a lot of fun to watch as well. Right, and in your write-up, you, you call him a left-handed Stan Varenka with great court coverage. I really like that description, and I've seen some of that too, and in, in, uh, what well, little I've seen, but uh, that did jump out at me. Would you, uh, would you uh, give that analogy with, with Stan? Is that who you're going to compare him to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, preferring the backhand for doing the damage, but also very efficient off the forehand. And also, coincidentally, they both have their slice serve as their most effective serve. Yep, very good. And um, we're going to go back to Europe now for number seven, Andrei Rublev, uh, 19-year-old, currently number 134 in the world. This is a name that's been on people's radar from time to time and uh, uh, has a result here or there, then some you know, disappears a little bit. Uh, what, what, uh, in your opinion, why hasn't he been able to make uh, steadier progress at this time? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with style of play. This is my sixth list, and he's been on every single list. So, as you mentioned, he's been around for a while. Uh, but his the way he plays is very low margins, uh, go for broke very early in the rallies, and on days where it's working, he can beat Fernando Verdasco. On days where it's not working, he's struggling in the challengers. Uh, so, the, the gap between success and failure for him is very small and depends very little on who's on the other side of the net. Um, so that means he could be winning big matches and grand slams here pretty soon, or he could be struggling on the Challenger Tour for a while longer. Predicting success for him is, is, is hard to do. Uh, eventually that success is going to come. The question is, can he maintain it? Um, so that's going to be the big challenge for Rublev's career. Uh, trying to play with a little bit more margin so that he can beat these guys that he should be beating and beat them more consistently. Sure, and uh, your uh, side-by-side comparison uh, as best you can with a current or uh, retired ATP player. Yeah, good thing you said retired there because I'm going to go with Robin Soderling, who uh, recently Hmm. retired, unfortunately had his career cut short because of uh, some sickness. Um, But, yeah, very similar in terms of the low-margin Big, big time power, and you'd see this with Robin Soderling. He'd beat Nadal at Roland Garros. He was capable of doing that, but having those kinds of results consistently was a struggle for him uh, because he plays low margin tennis, and and that's what you get. You can have big wins and you can have big losses. 
Uh, it's high-risk, high-reward tennis. And the photograph you have of Rublev is uh, him following th- on your site, uh, him following through on a forehand. And I could just see that, it, it, you know, you said Soderling, and I could see that follow-through of a Rob- Robin Soderling. We're, we're all familiar with, with him just cracking that forehand from behind the baseline. That's exactly uh, a, a comparable picture, uh, you know, a few frames down the road, if you will, from uh, him following through on that forehand as opposed to Soderling bringing it all the way back. But I, that, that's a very good analogy. The visual on the second Serb, Jared, uh, your photograph of Rublev, illustrates just that point. Uh, number eight, Riley Opelka, someone that I had a chance to see last year in Cincinnati. Big American, 19 years old. Uh, he did beat Jeremy Chardy. He lost to Sanga, I believe, in two tiebreakers in Cincy. A lot of people talking on the grounds of Cincy that this is uh, a, a very similar but a better version of John Isner. And uh, obviously Isner's had himself a nice career in some ways, shapes, and forms. He's fallen a little short of maybe expectations, uh, lofty expectations that Americans have had. People are saying now Alpelco is going to have a better career when it's all said and done than Isner. I got to see that to believe it, but uh, he is he is making noise on the tour so far this year as well. Well, I'll tell you this. John Isner believes that he's already singing the praises of Riley Opelka. Um, obviously, the the comparison here is that Opelka is going pro right now and having success. John Isner, at this point in his career, was still deciding between basketball and tennis, and he was going to go to college. Um, so John Isner took a lot longer to develop. Riley Opelka is already here, um, and this is going to give him a lot more time to focus on tennis and prove whereas John waited until later in his career. And he did eventually get to that point where he was reaching Masters finals, Grand Slam quarterfinals, reached the top ten, had some good results. But it was for a short period of time because uh, – and, and John Isner's career is not over. He can still uh, continue to have success just like Ivo Karlovich is doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't want to shortcut John Isner on that. But uh, Opelka has a ton of time to continue to develop, continue to build his ranking. He's only 19, and he's already coming up on seven feet tall. Uh, So obviously Mm. staying healthy is going to potentially be an issue for him when you're that tall and skinny. uh, Back problems, knee problems do tend to creep in. Uh, But if he can stay healthy, uh, I'm sure he's going to have a great strength coach around him to help him stay healthy. Um, He has all the tools already. One of the criticisms I do have of him is that he'll kind of close his eyes and whack the ball um, from defensive positions. And it's it's a little bit uh, ill-advised, in my opinion, a lot of the times when he does that. I think he does have great movement for a guy his size, and he needs to trust that. Get balls back and play. That puts pressure on your opponents. Uh, just trying to rip a winner when you're running from outside the doubles alley is not always going to be the best strategy. Um, you know, stay alive, stay in the point from when you're in those positions and wait until you're in a better position to try to go for the winner. Um, I think that these are the kind of things he's going to learn as he develops and uh, embraces this identity he has. Obviously, he hasn't been seven feet tall his whole career, his whole life, um, but he has been playing his tennis for just about his whole life. So now he's just now getting used for the first time in his life to being seven feet tall and playing that brand of tennis. Uh, so he's going to have to kind of learn some new strategy stuff. And uh, and I think once he does that, obviously the serve's already there, uh, the technique's there. He's going to be very successful. Yeah, how is his return game, by the way, in your opinion? 
he actually gets pretty good reads, and uh, kick serves are completely ineffective against him because he's so tall. He actually prefers the kick serve. So it's going to be an interesting uh, tactical thing to see when he does start developing rivalries with some of these top players. You know, What are they going to do on the second serve? Because you can't hit the kicker to him. Are you going to try to slice it to his backhand for a righty? Slicing to a, another righty's backhand is a very hard thing to do. Uh, you can try to go into the body, but that's always risky because if you miss by just a little, he's going to punish it. Uh, so he could be a very good second serve returner. Uh, obviously, he has the wingspan on the first serve, so he can get a lot of those in play. He has a uh, good feel with the racket, so he can slice a lot of first serve returns back into play. Uh, so the return, I think that's where a lot of people see he's already better than John Isner, and uh, that's his biggest advantage over these other guys, uh, the so-called serve bots. Yeah, I'll just throw one other, a uh, couple other quotes in there from uh, when John Isner was having a nice run in Cincinnati, and uh, this I think is about four years ago, Jared, back-to-back uh, press conferences. One, Martin Del Potro, Rafael Nadal. Uh, Del Potro says, you know, nobody, nobody wants to play Isner. You know, nobody wants to be on the receiving end of that serve. Rafael Nadal saying, you know, I, th- this guy should be should be living in the ATP top 10 and yeah I don't like playing him either high high words of praise for John Isner that uh, again nobody you see him in the your section of the draw you you really don't want to go there boy if El Pelka can uh, can be Isner plus more talent and and put it together and more importantly stay healthy look out I, I like what you said uh, quite a bit about him and number nine, another American, Stefan Kozlov. You've mentioned him earlier in the show. Jared, you went to go see one of his matches in a Futures tournament, I believe, in Southern California. And surprise, Taylor Fritz takes off Kozlov. So, uh, uh, but uh, Kozlov has been uh, in, in your ranking for quite some time as well. Uh, this is a name that, that pops up uh, again from time to time, making a little bit of progress in draws, but it just hasn't seemed to work well yet for Stefan Kozlov. That said, he's... 19 years old, 116 in the world. But I think uh, some of the American folks have been thinking that he should be further along by now. Your thoughts? Yeah, I've always been a little bit lower on Kozlov than most other people. I've I've put him lower on my list than I'm sure uh, other people who follow this would. Uh, I'm very weary of um, just the style of play he has. He's someone that has all the tools except for the serve. And I think that's the wrong spot to have a weakness. And he's always been... Uh, playing guys that are taller than him when he was 13, 14. He was playing in juniors events. So he's, you know, five, six inches shorter than everyone else. They have a great serve. He had he had to find another way to win because uh, he, he couldn't serve as well as them. Well, now he's grown up and he's over six feet tall and he still kind of has that same style of play. He has improved his serve quite a bit, but it's far from being a weapon. Uh, you know, if, if tennis was a sport where, you know, you, you served underhand, just fed the ball into play, and then you get going. Uh, Kosloff would probably be, you know, top ten already. Uh, I mean, you know, not that high. Um, but really, the serve is a big issue for him right now, and just hasn't improved a ton. He's able to get three points occasionally on his first serve, uh, but the second serve he can barely get any going on it. So he just goes for the slice, and that's really a rotten way to start the points. And because he does have all these other tools. He's been able to make up for it and get near the top 100, um, but he's going to have to get a serve at some point to be able to move in the top 100. He can improve it, and I'm sure he will improve it, and that's why he's still on the list. You can't leave him off, uh, but there's still a long way to go, I think, for Kozlov. Um, but, yeah, aside from the serve, 
I really like his game. He's got a very positive attitude on court. He seems like one of the likable guys on tennis. Um, I mentioned the match he had with Taylor Fritz. Both he and Fritz actually ended up sitting next to each other to watch the other quarterfinals events going on that day. And at one point, Kozlov had his arm around him. These guys are buddies. Uh, Kozlov's already uh, very professional about it. He takes these losses in stride. Um, and, yeah, just really impressed with him uh, from a mental and emotional perspective and uh, really excited about what he can do, especially if he can develop his serve into, into a weapon. Nice, and uh, if you could compare him to someone. Uh, Ricardo Barancas, I've made that comparison to a a number of juniors. I I believe I used Barancas for uh, Hyung Chung as well. Um, Mm -hmm. But, yeah, being able to do so much off the ground, such clean ground strokes, uh, moving well. um, Yeah, there's a number of guys like that as well, even David Ferrer, although I'd say Ferrer gets a lot out out of his serve for his size. Um, so that might be uh, a bad comparison there. Uh, but just having such a complete game off the ground, um, he, he's right up there. He's very strong from a rally position. Yep, and uh, we're at number 10, Jared, uh, Kazakhstan, number 19, uh, 19 years old, number 138 in the world, Alexander Bublik, uh, made some noise earlier in the year in Australia, and uh, that's where I first saw his name, obviously, you're very much more familiar with with him than I am, so I'll let you take this one away. Yeah, actually, I wasn't that familiar with him. About six months ago, I'd kind of seen his name here and there, and I, I neglected to put him on the list. And, uh, yeah, he made me regret that, as you mentioned, with the success he had in Melbourne earlier this year. Um, a, a very impressive performance there, and a lot of people in tennis world say, wow, this is, this is now one of the rising stars in tennis. And so, yeah had to have him on the list this time around um big serve flat game uh very similar to a lot of these younger guys where they play with power uh powers uh the way to win amongst junior players that's the main currency and he's got a lot of it so he's been very successful particularly of late really uh stormed onto the scene and it's been a lot of fun to see and so I had to include him on the top 10 yeah good and uh, with respect to his style of play, Jared, I, this is someone that uh, I admit I've not seen play yet. Uh, any comparison with respect to uh, uh, who's who's yeah, him? I'm going to go with Safin on this one, um, mm. just in terms of playing flat, a lot of power, um, really just kind of one, one speed, uh, and that's a high speed, and he hits the ball hard, not a whole lot of variety, but uh, a lot of power. Okay, no, I like that. We all can relate to uh, Marat Safin, and very interesting, uh, obviously, from the same neck of the woods in the world as well. I, I, I would think that he's Russian playing under the Kazakh flag. Are, are you familiar with that? Oh, I, yeah, I, oh, I'm familiar with this, but I strongly remember it off the top of my head right now, actually. Yeah, I, I would think he's Russian playing uh, for Kazakhstan. There aren't too many uh, pure Kazakh yeah. players out there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And uh, we're going into uh, staying in Europe for number 11, Jared. I am going to uh, have you pronounce the Serbian's name here because I'm, I would actually butcher it. So uh, take away the 17-year-old ranked number 651 in the world. Uh, again, very high number for someone making your list at number 11. Yeah, Miomir Kecmanovic. 
So, yeah, everyone at home might want to start practicing that. Catch Manovich because you'll be saying it a lot more. Um, this is a guy uh, that is very talented on all surfaces, which is what I like most about him. Uh, he's he's from Serbia originally, pretty much grew up in the United States, though. Uh, so he's very good on the green clay and the hard courts like a lot of the young Americans. Uh, I think the United States, uh, Justin made a good point about growing up on clay is so important. The United States has made that adjustment to help uh, give these players a lot of opportunities to play on the green clay, which is a little bit different. Uh, but, yeah, absolutely. Ketchmanovic, very good on the green clay. And he and Shapovalov actually played against each other in a Futures final last year in January. And it went to 7-6 in the third set. Shapovalov ended up being Ketchmanovic. Uh, but that result alone really caught my attention. Uh, these two guys that 16 years old at the time were playing each other in a Futures final. Um, and, yeah, Shapovalov got the better of him, but a very tight match and a good run just to get there. And that was uh, really when I started paying attention to him. Also, he won the Orange Bowl. Um, so he's had some good results on his career, a lot of them in the United States. So the key for him is going to, even as a Serb, he's got to go try to find success outside of the States. Um so eventually he'll get to that point. But for right now, he's playing mostly futures events within the United States. And uh, he's having great success. So a lot of reason to be excited about him. And uh, comparing him to a player, um, Ryan Harrison. He's also built a lot like Ryan Harrison. Uh, so their styles of play are pretty similar. And just from a, a, an optics perspective, their backhands are very similar. So, yeah, a lot of similarities between him and Ryan Harrison – uh, different mental approaches. No one's quite like Ryan Harrison in that regard. Um, right. But yeah, technique-wise, very similar to the two of them. Catch Benovich, uh Orange Bowl champion. I will uh, get that pronunciation down, Jared. And number 12, uh, someone, uh, Ducky Leak from Korea, 18 years old. Uh, this is a name that seems to pop up in draws as well. Uh, you know, looking at your profiles, beating some Pretty good guys, uh, Rosal and Brands in the Challenger Tour. And, um, I, again, I'm familiar with the name. Have not seen him play, unfortunately. What can you tell us about Ducky Lee? Yeah, not a lot of people have seen him play. And the reason being he only plays events in East Asia. Uh, so for those of us in the United States, we're usually asleep when he's playing. And, and that's <laughs> been kind of my issue with him is he's built up his ranking by beating players from his own country. And there haven't been a lot of – Koreans or Chinese have had success in tennis. Obviously, Hyun Chung and um, Hyun Chung really is kind of changing that. Um, but Ducky Lee is kind of just beating up on the rest of the people from that part of the world. And he hasn't actually gone out and challenged himself against the top players from South America, Europe, United States. And we've seen a change in his scheduling this year where now he's starting to go out and play players from different countries. And he's struggling a little bit. And that's uh, understandable. Um, you know, he's playing up, up against a very different kind of competition. So I'm worried that his talent won't necessarily translate on the ATP World Tour level. Um, so that's why I'm a little bit hesitant on him, left him a little bit lower than other people might. Uh, but he does have good results. You mentioned Brandon Rassal, uh, other ones that, that do make him hard to ignore. He's got a very clean game, a very fun to watch game uh just really pretty the way he hits the ball kind of like a richard gasquet uh in terms of just being uh, aesthetically good to watch um so that, that's how i'd compare him to although strategically um an actual like watching him he's not very similar to richard gasquet um 
but just kind of fun to watch in the same way that Gasquet is. No, I get that all the way. I can read, I can watch Gasquet play twenty four seven. Love love the beauty of his game and the execution as well. So absolutely. And uh, interesting though that he's stayed in his neck of the woods. Uh, like you mentioned, it's got he's got to be uh, globe trotting a little bit to uh, to make it happen elsewhere. And number thirteen, the Greek eighteen year old. Stefano Sipisis, and I've seen him play. Was was uh, did he play Shapovalov in a junior final? Uh, I I want to say I saw him play in a in a major junior final, but I can't recall. Yeah, he's most known for his junior career, so that would make sense uh, that that would be where you've seen him. He he did have a, an outstanding junior career, um, and that's really where he caught my attention. I, I'd compare him to a teenage Roger Federer. Um, now, obviously, Roger Federer changed a lot from when he was a teenager to where he is now. The question is, can Stefanos make that same kind of uh, jump and evolve his career the same way Roger Federer did? And, and the similarities are that the, the serve and volley. Obviously, Roger Federer did a lot of that early in his career. He had a very simple uh, service motion that would just bum rush the net, uh, wasn't very confident in his baseline game. And it was Leighton Hewitt who actually was the one that forced Roger Federer to change his style of play, become much better from the baseline. And Roger Federer, just so natural with the racket, was able to make that mm-hmm. adjustment quite easily. Players are not able to do it. This is why Roger Federer is the greatest of all time and nobody else is. Um, so, you know, that that's probably going to be a tough path for Stefanos to, to follow. But right now he has uh, great hands up at the net, a nice one-handed backhand. Uh, he is improving from the baseline, uh, but right now that is his issue is that he struggles to hang with a lot of guys from the baseline. But when you have a nice serve, nice net game, good feel with the racket, he's comfortable uh, at, at all positions of the court, and technique-wise, technique a, a very nice one-handed backhand, uh, he's going to continue to develop, and I think he could be pretty good. Uh, but, yeah, he, he still has a ways to go in, as far as developing his ground game from the baseline. Nice. So, so far we've had a Norwegian and a Greek on your list, Jared, uh, countries we've not heard too much of. Nice to see uh, other countries, other nations represented on this list and what we can expect. And we're going to number 14 in Australia, Alex Dimonor, 18 years old. Uh, this is a name, Jared, when you and I were putting the show together and the Australian Open was coming on board, we were comparing notes on what matches we were watching and you mentioned that you were going to go uh, check some of this match out uh, uh, at the Australian Open, and uh, he's had some nice results already. What jumps out uh, for you about this guy's game? Yeah, he was playing Gerald Meltzer, and that was a, a great match, and you got to see just what a great competitor he was. Uh, now, it's easy to compete when you have the Aussie crazies behind you, supporting you uh, nonstop, he, and he's had some success in Australia this year, but he hasn't really left that part of the world. Um, so that's that's a, a theme with a lot of these players. They have success in their own neck of the woods. You have to go out and get success elsewhere. And actually, you can say that about a lot of the Australian players uh, right now. Um, that's one of the tough things to do is to have success not only uh, in that part of the world, but go out uh, because really there's only tennis in Australia in January. The rest of the year, you have to be somewhere else. Um, so it's not that easy to make a living if all your success is coming from your own country. And we've kind of seen that uh, with some of these guys like a J.P. Smith or a Matt Ebden who will have success when they're in Australia, but when they leave, yep. they can't replicate that. So 
hopefully with Damon Art, he, he'll be the exception to that. No, I agree. And uh, a comparison of a, of a player at this point? Uh, I, I want to compare him to David Ferrer. I might be overusing Ferrer, uh, but a small mm. guy that packs a lot of punch. Uh, maybe we could use Nicholas Almagro uh, to change it up a bit. But yeah, he doesn't he doesn't have this big stature to hit the ball with, uh, but he generates a surprising amount of power um, from the baseline with such a small frame. And and as I've mentioned, this is the style of play that works with jun- amongst the juniors these days is to hit with a lot of power from the baseline. And that's kind of what makes Stefanos, the last player we're talking about, so different is that he's a servant volleyer. He has good touch, likes to do it up at the net. Uh, Damon R is more traditional amongst juniors in that he plays from the baseline, hits the ball hard, and uh, similar to a Kakanakis as well. Mm, uh, nice, good analogies. I can I can relate to that all the way. Uh, number 15, Michael Moe. This is someone that I was disappointed I did not get a chance to see at the Tempe Challenger. Jared expected him to uh, go deeper in that event, did not. Uh, Michael Moe, 19 years old. We've seen this name quite a bit the last couple of years being here in the U.S., Already, Jared, 2017 wins over Jersey Janowitz and Vasek Pospisil. So uh, he's beating some big names. Uh, obviously, Pospisil took out, uh, you know, Andy Murray here at Indian Wells. So uh, he's had a little bit of a difficult year, year and a half. But Michael Moe took him down in the Challenger earlier this year. And so uh, he's, his trajectory is going up. He's beating some big names already. Yeah, absolutely. This is a guy that has a little bit of it all. He can He, he can hit hard. He can hit with some finesse. Uh, he moves really well. He's got a lot of variety on his serve, which is something I've been really impressed by. He hits the flat, the slider, and the kicker all equally effective, and that can make uh, returning against him very hard. He, he tends to get his first percentage a little bit too low, and he can hurt himself with that. Uh, when the first serve percentage is high, he does a lot better, and that's something that he's going to get better with at time. That's something that's very easy to improve, I think. Um, you know, we had Justin talking about uh, guys spending a lifetime working on their, their strokes and stuff, uh, but you can improve overnight with your IQ. Similar with first serve percentage, um, he has good technique, and that's there. It's just a consistent ball toss, consistent motion, and that's something that he can improve pretty easily. And I think once he does, he, he's going to become a lot more difficult to break. Uh, his backhand return is probably his biggest weakness right now. That's another thing he can improve. Uh, but I think once he gets those two things, he's got a very complete game, a very impressive, uh, just all the things he can do all around. Um, so very impressed with, with that. Um, he's kind of like a Pablo Cuevas that can play on all surfaces. He's had success on, on hard courts and on clay, uh, but the style of play that he has, I'd say it's pretty similar to Cuevas, but it, but it translates well on hard courts as well. Good. No, I, I that very good points there. I appreciate that uh, comparison. Number 16, 19-year-old Russian Roman Safulin. I've seen the name only a couple times. He is number 411 in the world. This is probably why I've not uh, known too much about him. Please elaborate on, on Roman Safulin. Yeah, so two years ago, um, he really just came onto the scenes one uh I believe it was a Challengers event or a Futures event, and then also won a junior grade A event, then reached the uh, the final of the Australian Open where he played Rublev, and then after that had an injury and was gone for a long time and pretty much out of tennis, and his ranking dropped. And uh, then he started to make a comeback 
got injured again. He started to make another comeback this year, and I believe he's injured again right now. So injury already has been a huge issue for him, and that's why you see his rankings so much lower. Um, but he has had results early in his career where I felt obligated to include him on the list just in case he is able to get past the injury bug and actually have a full tennis career. It's going to be very good. Um, but right now his career is in jeopardy just because of the huge injury problems. So he's one that could just never materialize, and I'm really worried about that because he is such a talented player. Um, but, yeah, if, if he's ever healthy, it would be a very exciting thing to see. But huge question marks as far as health goes at this point in his career, and that's unfortunate. Well, it's, it, it is, and so much talent that we never really see got to materialize uh, on the ATP Tour with injuries cutting uh, – promising career short, especially early on. But uh, is there uh, a, a player that you can compare him to? You know, because of the injuries, I've actually seen him play very little. I, I don't know a lot about his game, but his results have stood out to me so much. I, I, I did make a point to tune into him a few times, uh, but don't have actually a lot of memories. It's, it's been over a year since I've seen him play just because of all the injuries. So, unfortunately, I, I don't know a ton about his game. Okay, now I, I'm intrigued with uh, with how you've talked him up, uh, and again, wish him well uh, with with good health going forward. Number 17, an Australian. Number uh, 19, age in the, and he is ranked 225. Mark Pullman's of Australia. I am not familiar with this name at all. What can you share about him? Yeah, I'm not too familiar with him either, to be honest. Uh, and when I get down to this point in the list, these are the guys that I've seen a little bit less. Uh, but Mark Pullman is someone that's had some great results. He and Omar Jessica, and along with Alex Dinamir, they're kind of the, the big three of this next group of Australians. We had the, the group that was Jordan Thompson, Nick Kyrgios, and Tanasi Kakanakis. Now these guys are the next group, and there's a lot to be excited about for the Australian tennis fans. These three guys are all very talented. I don't know a lot about uh, Pullman's in particular, um, but he has had some great results. He's already into the top 200, uh, which is a huge accomplishment. Just remember... Uh, when Bernard Tomic turned 20 and uh, there was not a single teenager in the top 200 at the time, Pui was in and out. And when Pui was out, there was no teenager in the top 200. So being a teenager in the top 200 is a big deal. That's a huge accomplishment, definitely worthy of being considered one of the top 20 under 20. Uh, good, good call. And um, going to France now, Jared, the first Frenchman on the list, uh, 17-year-old, ranked 440, Corentin Motut. And uh, what can you tell us about him? Uh, this is, again, uh, another name that I've not seen before. Yeah, I haven't seen a lot of him either. I, I made a point to go out and look up some videos of him on YouTube because his results caught my eye. And, and I was pretty impressed with what I saw. He's a left-handed player, plays with some variety, uh, doesn't have a lot of power, so he's got to be creative. Pretty similar to Yoshihito Nishioka, for those who are familiar with Nishioka, um, in terms of just craftiness. He's a crafty lefty, and it's, it's a different brand of tennis. It's fun to watch. And, uh, yeah, if he makes it pretty high, he's going to be one of those crafty Frenchmen and a left-hander, too, on top of that. So he's going to be fun to watch. Um, he's still pretty young. He's got a ways to go in terms of ranking. And uh, he hasn't had his big breakthrough yet but he's had enough good results to definitely merit some consideration and uh, some recognition. And the video you saw, uh, what? Uh, who, who can we uh, compare him to? Yeah, Yoshitsu Nishioka, as, as I mentioned, oh, yeah. but obviously a lot of people aren't going to be familiar with who he is. 
Um, but yeah, it, it's a crafty left-handed player. I almost want to compare him to uh, Fabrice Santoro, but obviously, I mean, that's that's the extreme end of crafty. He doesn't go quite that far. Um, but we're, we're talking that kind of craftiness where it's fun to watch a new kind of shot that you don't see very often and uh, uses his, his left-handedness in a way that's fun to see. Nice, nice. And um, 19, American Tommy Paul. This is a name, again, that Americans have, have are familiar with, tennis, people who follow tennis. And, uh, again, uh, we've not yet seen a breakthrough from Paul. We, it looked like we may have a little while back, but he has fallen considerably. Uh, only 19, but, um, uh, you know, sort of almost make or break it time. Uh, tough, tough sled ahead with uh, so many other guys having success. What is not happening in the career of Tommy Paul to date? Yeah, I think a lot of the issues for him have been um, above the neck, um, just kind of getting himself in a place where he's not putting a lot of pressure on himself. And the nice thing is there's a lot of American teenagers that have passed him now, so the pressure's off him. The only pressure he has on him is coming from himself. Uh, so him learning how to manage that, obviously he has the talent, he has the game. He's only 19 years old, uh, so we can see him improve. Uh, we expect him to improve. Uh, there's really no reason he won't. Um, he has so much power off both the forehand and backhand. Uh, he could improve his serve a little bit. He can improve in terms of variety. Uh, he doesn't have a ton of variety in his game at this point. Um, but, yeah, the the power and accuracy off both the forehand and backhand are just devastating. And so when that's dialed in, when he's uh, getting returns in play, when he's getting the rally started, uh, that's when he's in a good position to win points against really anyone. Yeah, it almost reminds me of the scenario you said of a Fratangelo who who came up, had some success, and then really kind of disappeared. Was playing futures, and now obviously he's been meandering his way back in. Would the, would that be a pretty fair comparison? Yeah, no, it's a great comparison as far as uh, career trajectory, and and you could even throw Ryan Harris in that group where he had a big breakthrough, and then you know he's the extreme where he had a massive fall and has slowly built himself back up to where he's almost point where he was about four or five years ago. Uh, so Tommy Paul on that path right now to build himself back up, get his ranking back up to where it should be. And uh, he's probably not going to get any more wild cards from the USDA, maybe a few here and there, but not the kind where he can count on it. So he's going to have to earn his way. Yep, and rounding out the top 20, Jared, uh, 16-year-old Spaniard, uh, high-ranking 718. This is someone you mentioned in your discussion with Justin Fitzpatrick, uh, the only Spaniard on the list. Nicola Kuhn, 16 years old. Uh, I'm always intrigued when someone this young can make a list like this. Obviously, he's doing several things well that have, have caught your attention. Yeah, he's actually uh, a native of Germany. He was born in Germany, uh, then moved to Spain early on. As, as Justin mentioned, Spain's the place to go uh, train and become good at tennis, and, and he's been doing that at 16 years old already. I haven't seen him play a lot. This is another guy where I'm going a lot off of his results. His results are good. He's only 16 years old, um, particularly on the junior circuit is where he's been having a lot of success. And uh, so, yeah, this is uh, something exciting to see if you're a Spanish tennis fan because there's not a lot of it. Um, it's, it's hard to find. Uh, these young Spanish players that are having success right now, but here's one of them. And uh, so, yeah, he's going to have quite a bit of pressure on him in the next few years. Let's see how he handles it, um, especially as Rafael Nadal's career comes to a close. I imagine Nadal will have retired 
before he's at that point where he's, uh, you know, making noise on an international level. So um, we'll see how he develops in the next couple of years, how he handles that kind of pressure. Uh, but he's got a long career ahead of him, a long time to develop. And so, yeah, he he's a more distant future kind of a talent. Oh, I, I like that. Uh, very good analogy. And, Jared, on a day where uh, you're number one from uh, exactly two years ago, Nick Kyrgios, uh, uh, number one on the top 20 under 20, had a monumental win over Novak Djokovic uh, here at NU Wells. He's going to be in the quarterfinals taking on Roger Federer. But as we wrap up our top 20 under 20 ATP show, anything else that you'd like to add? We've covered a lot of ground and uh, learned a lot about Casper Ruud as well. Yeah, absolutely, and, and there are a lot of guys who uh, are just at that 20-year-old mark now where they were on the list a little while ago, and now it's time uh, to go make a big guys like uh, Ernesto Escobedo and, and Noah Rubin, Jared Donaldson from, from the United States, all of those guys. Uh, excited to see what they can start doing um, as they make it into the top 100 and, and beyond for those guys. Um and, and yeah, this is basically a watch list. This is uh, these are names you're going to want to know, or names eventually you will know. So learn them now, and uh, you, you won't be one of the ones surprised when all of a sudden these guys are competing for big titles. Uh, these guys are the future of tennis, and uh, yeah, there there are some that'll sneak through the cracks and not be on my list and eventually win uh, big big events. Uh, but for the most part, the the, the future Grand Slam champions. Uh, of tennis they're going to be on someone's list of the best teenage players in tennis and this is my list of the top 20. Oh that's great and uh, nice expanded uh, edition of Replay the Point tonight so on behalf of Justin Fitzpatrick and Jared Pine this is Pete Zebron saying good night we'll catch you next time on Replay the Point. Good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.